You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It is the fourth Saturday of the month, and it's the 8 o'clock hour. That means we have Farmer Greg joining us in the house to talk about all things urban farming. And Greg, I pulled this out of Thursday's Wall Street Journal. Listen wow. to this. Cattle futures jump unexpected uh, on unexpected Asian demand, up 14% since September 10th. Wow. Beef prices up 14% in basically five weeks. Yeah. But that's why we bring in every month to talk about urban farming, growing our own, and creating a more local and sustainable food source right here in the great state of Arizona. There you go. Uh, You know, you can actually grow your own cattle. You can grow your own chickens. You can grow your own pigs if you have a, you know, a little bit bigger lot here in Phoenix. Um, You can actually do that. Um, You know, I've never done cows and pigs, but I've done chickens. About uh, about a decade ago, I figured since I'm not a vegetarian full-time, I'm vegetarian about 98% of the time, <laughs> but sometimes I ate poultry, and uh, I figured, you know what, I'm just going to figure out what this takes. And so I raised, over the course of about three years, we raised 25 hens that were meat birds. They're very different. Meat birds are very different than... Um, than laying hens. And were those like the Cornish cross? Do you remember the name of the breed? That's exactly, yep, that's exactly (laughs) what I was raising, Cornish cross. And they go from chick, you know, the little peepers things about the size of a baseball, to harvestable at six pounds in eight weeks. And you you pretty much are forced to have to harvest at that speed because their body grows so fast. Right. Their legs can't support them. Exactly. And they just... You know, yeah, that's one, once they the won't start live much past that. <laughs> right, once the clock starts with them, it's you know you 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 got a butcher day coming up, um, and I was much more of a vegetarian on the other end of that, and I very much appreciate you know what Dave the we used to call him Dave the Eggman up uh, you know and New River yeah and New River <laughs> you know I think he does meat birds now, uh, but I you know I very much appreciate what farmers do to make clean meat for us. And there are bunches of them in the state. We just have to find them. And, you know, if you're a little bit motivated, you can do that yourself. And for everything you said, that's why I rely on Tyson or, you know, (laughs) Butterball for chicken, just because that you have to harvest so quick. And I didn't always have time to harvest when it needed to be, and we would lose our crop. And I found it a lot easier to section off a quarter of the property and feed a steer. It doesn't matter if he's, you know... (laughs) 16 months or 18 months. If yep. I've got a, a window there before to it works in my schedule, all I'm out's a little bit on feed. But right. it's not like I lose him because I'm not keeping up with how fast these these meat chickens grow and, and yep. how yeah, and their exactly. harvest schedule. So anyway, I'm kind of deterring us off of Fruit the topic trees. of today. We're not talking meat. It's no. possible. We're talking urban orcharding, which is, you know, different. And, you know, recently I've come up with this, this idea, possibility of what if everybody had a fruit tree in their front yard in Phoenix? That call would it, be pretty incredible. Call it front yard fruit trees. And there are so many fruit trees that grow really well here and produce really well. Um, we'll get to that. But, you know, there, you, there's so many choices. It's like, what do you love? I have in my front yard, I have... I think I have 12 navel or navel-like oranges, and I have 14 on the property. Why do I have that many? Because when they're, you know, when they're ripe, 
I'm eating four to six a day myself. And when you said if everyone had one fruit tree on their front porch or front lot, mm-hmm. you just picture a street and then everyone pick a different fruit tree. Exactly. So you've got this huge variety right, right. there in your neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you only need one lemon tree on a street, maybe two, <laughs> maybe two. You know, you only need one lime tree on a street. Yeah, maybe a half a dozen peach trees would be good. Three or four apple trees on a street. Yeah, you could. Uh, I've I've contemplated it before and, and mentioned it just in, in big picture theory. You know, we've got citrus as such a staple of. Uh, you know, one of the five seas of Arizona, yeah, and such a big, a big producer. It's a consistent producer, year after year. Yep, <clears throat> doesn't need a uh, rely on bees for pollination. What would have happened to you know the the ho ho cum and the tribes of Casa Grande that disappeared in the 1100s if citrus had just gotten here a couple a hundred earlier. years earlier? There you go. What, what? How would that have changed? The, the whole makeup of, of our history. Yeah. Interesting thing to ponder. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but they do, they are high water use. Fruit trees are high water use. And so there's strategies, which we can talk about in the second or third segment. There's strategies for success to make sure that you're not spending all your water allotment on the fruit trees. So they would have needed citrus and dams. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's part of the reason I went with flood water on my property. You know, 30 years. I've been in my house 30 years now. I'm near 16th Street in Bethany Home. And the reason, the number one reason I bought that house is because it has flood water. You're on SRP District? Yep, exactly. Yeah, if you can find one of those properties, they are premier. Yeah. Those those flood irrigation properties are are phenomenal. Yeah, if you want to grow food, get a flood water property. And you can sit there and look down a street and know... This side's flood, this side's not. <laughs> not. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So today we're talking about urban orcharding and what is urban orcharding. And the big thing is fruit trees, you know, an apple tree, a peach tree, a plum tree, apricot, citrus, they can easily get 30, 35 feet tall with a 20 to 30 foot diameter footprint on them. And in our yards, we generally don't have the capability of managing a tree that size. Plus, a peach tree that's that size is going to give you three, four, five, six hundred pounds of peaches and in a two-week period. I was going to say the harvest time on peach would be hard. That's the nice thing about citrus is you know you've got a multi-month harvest yep. period, but peaches it's it's now or nothing, baby. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So by keep, so in urban orcharding, we really encourage people to keep the trees small, no more than about eight or ten feet tall, with a footprint of six foot diameter, so that you can actually harvest it by standing on the ground. You walk up to it, you can harvest everything off of it. I have a perfectly pruned, eight foot tall peach tree in my front yard, and I get. 50, 60 pounds of peaches in a two-week period. For Heidi and I and my mom and, you know, some friends, that's plenty of peaches. You have plenty of peaches doing it that way. So keeping trees small accomplishes several things. First of all, we can easily manage the trees. You know, if you're going to net them for birds, you want to use something called tool, T-U-L-L-E. You get it at the fabric store. You never, never, never want to use bird netting. Bird netting tangles mercilessly in the tree, and it kills birds. So 
by keeping a tree small to eight feet, you can cover it with tulle when the fruit's starting to ripen. So it doesn't need to be all season, just a couple, three weeks. Um, they're easier to manage and prune when you keep them small. Plus, there's a bonus, and that bonus is called successive ripening. So with peaches, I have a bundle of peaches that we sell through our fruit tree program that includes a desert gold peach, a tropic snow peach, and a mid-pride peach. And they consecutively ripen. So the so the uh, desert gold I, yeah. I get what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. The desert gold peach ripens in mid May. The then tropic June. snow peach is like mid early June. Uh-huh. And the mid pride peach is late June, early July. So you expand your harvest time. Right. And the thing is, uh-huh. in that same twenty five foot foot diameter footprint that a standard size tree fits into, I can put six different varieties of peaches, which would ripen in a window starting at the beginning of May all the way to the beginning of July at different times, successive ripening. So by keeping the trees small, they're easier to manage, they're easier to cover, they're easier to prune, and um, you can put multiple trees in the same space. And these are individual trees. These aren't like those cocktail trees where Correct. they try and graft on yep. three different varieties to one rootstock. These are three individual trees. Exactly. Which you don't see a lot of that cocktail as much like you when it first came out. I think everyone figured out that that just wasn't. It's not a good, it's not a great thing. And here's why. Often what happens is, is one of the varieties will grow excessively it grows quickly and if you're not out there pruning that thing every month or so and managing the size of the different ones that are growing it'll take over the tree and within three or four years you just have a tree that is a single variety not your three varieties anymore so if you're getting a cocktail citrus tree and there's a lemon a lime and an orange on there if you're not out there doting over that tree managing it that lime's gonna take it over (laughs) or the lemon right exactly one of them will grow so voraciously quickly that it's just gonna take it over and good luck so plant the trees individually if you want those three different varieties plant three different trees and Exactly. Like you said, you don't need massive amounts of space. Right. Yeah. So one of the ways, there's over 40 fruit trees in my front yard. And my front yard is, uh, my yard is third of an acre. It's 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep. And my front yard is 80 feet wide and about 40 foot deep. And I have over 40 fruit trees in my front yard and I put them in hedges. I put them in hedgerows. So all the way across, right, there's a street and then there's my yard the edge of my yard, and then I put 14 navel oranges right across the front of the property. It creates a nice uh, privacy fence. It grows a lot of food. That grows most of my citrus that I need. And it's amazing how trees have an ability to regulate themselves where, you know, it's not like you're constantly out there having to trim them back, trim them back, trim them back. When they're planted close, they've got their sensors in the leaves and in the roots to not grow beyond this because this is all the space I have. Right. So those are in hedges. And one of the one of the things that does happen, though, is they'll grow tall. They'll, Which they'll, is okay. There's your privacy okay. screen. Yeah. So, All right. We're talking about urban orcharding with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House. We do it. We talk urban farming the fourth Saturday of every month and rotate through topics. And we'll take uh, 
the, a quick break here and come back and continue on our fruit tree talking chill hours and rootstocks and ripening times and viability and the pop-up orchard is opening up it opened up yesterday yes and what time do you open up today uh well we're open at nine today nine so here so 40 I'm minutes a, you'll be open up yep exactly with farmer greg talking urban orchards and you know what area we're talking about primarily low desert you could apply it from phoenix to yuma uh you get it down to tucson and you start going up in elevation the varieties start to change you get up to flagstaff it really changes yeah the great thing is there's local nurseries in all of those locations that will have trees you can do this on your at, at your own property that are you know adaptable to your climate yes and th- that's what you have to be really conscious about and really educated about. And that's so I, my fruit tree program that I started 20 years ago, this is my 20th year educating people about fruit trees, which is a little bit mind blowing for me. Uh, but the reason I started doing that is because you can go into a, most nurseries, a lot of nurseries and, mo- and all big box stores, and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit. And that 20 years, a funny observation, we were recently on a water treatment tour at the Scottsdale Water Reclamation Plant up on Pima. Yep. And they were talking about, we've been doing this for 20 years, this building's 20 years old, this, this, and this. And the whole time my mind is going to the 80s. And we get to the end of the tour and there are pictures. Wait, that was 90. Exactly. 99. That was 20 years ago? Yep. Oh, my. <laughs> right? <laughs> my mind 20 years ago was still just the 80s. Right. No, no. That was, dude, that was almost 40 years ago. I, I don't, I know. That's what's scary. <laughs> but it's the same thing when you're like 20 years of doing it. You're like, oh, where'd that go? <laughs> right. Well, and here, I'm the older I get, the faster it goes. Go figure. And, and we've got a lot of fruit trees yet to go before you're done. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So where were we? Well, I you, we were talking about, uh, I think we were getting ready to go into to, to chill hours and that you oh, go to yeah, a box so store I, yep. where they don't have. Yeah, exactly. So you So there's several things that you absolutely have to be cognizant about. You have to know. And so we deliver fruit trees for the low desert. So if you're up in Flagstaff, Prescott, you need to do your research to find out these pieces of data. Number one is chill hours. Here in the low desert, we get about three to 350 hours of chill. Chill is anything under 39 degrees. Fruit trees, deciduous fruit trees, this doesn't count for citrus, but deciduous fruit trees require a certain amount of chill hours in order to set fruit. So remember, I said we get how many hours here? Uh, in the low desert, about 300? 300, 350, exactly. And if you plant a peach tree that requires 600 hours of chill, it will never make peaches. I know. I've done it 30 years ago when we moved into the urban farm. Will they even flower? No, they'll flower. They'll they'll still flower. They just don't make fruit. So that's really important. Know your chill hours. If you're up in Flagstaff, you're in Prescott, find out, or in Patagonia, Arizona, find out how many chill hours you you have in that area. Uh, you can look online. There's a website called Get Chill, I believe. Check with your cooperative extension service. They'll be able to tell you, but be very conscious. You need to buy a fruit tree that fits into the amount of chill hours that you have there. So if you're up in Flagstaff and you put a low chill apple tree up there, it's never going to make 
fruit likely up there either because low chill varieties ripen earlier. That means they bud out earlier. So if you get an apple tree that is, you know, normally our apple trees here in the low desert bud in February and early March, it's still freezing up north. So a low chill is not going to work up there because the buds are going to freeze off. And I just found it. It's getchill.net. Perfect. And then you put in your start end date and then uh, somehow it does your geolocation. I haven't got that far yeah. yet. But you got to tell it where because, right. like you said, you, you it in Arizona from Flagstaff to uh, Peach Springs is a very short distance, but extremely huge elevation drop. There you go. <laughs> so pay attention to that. Chill hours is really, really important. The next thing that's super important is um, rootstocks. You have to make sure that the rootstocks that you're buying your trees on are good for your area. You're going to have, if you're not in the low desert, you're going to have to jump in and do some learning about that. If you're in the low desert, come and see me. All of the trees that we have available for people to buy. So I sell fruit trees. I give away the education and I sell the fruit trees. That's how I make some of my living. And um, all of the trees that we bring in are climate appropriate and season appropriate for the low desert. So if you do what I tell you to do, you're going to get fruit in three years. It's just the way it is. Because I've proven this over and over and over. I've been growing fruit trees. I planted my first fruit tree actually in 1974 at the Weldon house, 2827 East Weldon is the house that I grew <laughs> up in. And that's where I planted my first fruit trees was back then. Um, so the, the chill hours, rootstocks, there's a third one. And the nurseries, nobody really knows about this one. This is um, goes to the climate appropriate that I mentioned. For the soft flesh fruit, the apples, peaches, apricots, plums, grapes, berries, um, those plants, those trees, you want to buy a variety that is ripe and off of the tree before about July 10th. Otherwise, it just cooks on the tree. Just goes that all bets are off summer heat. Exactly. <clears throat> Makes sense. And yeah. Someone in present company usually checks out of the state at that time, too. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a hard s- section of the year. But outside of that, we can grow fruit almost year-round, and that's what we're talking about here with a Farmer Greg at Rosie on the house. Urban Orcharding here at Rosie on the House with Farmer Greg, and we're making our way through everything you need to know about having your own little urban orchard on your home. Or like Greg said, if every home in Arizona put a fruit tree in their front yard, what would that look like? Organized with uh, neighborhood, your community. And what about planting time? I mean, this is hailed by most experts, the optimal time to stick it in the ground. For citrus... Um, we're trying something new this year. Like I said, I've been uh, doing this for 20 years, educating. And you're not afraid to experiment. And when I'm experimenting, know that our fruit trees are guaranteed. So people can find out more about that at fruittrees.org. You're not experimenting with customers. This is experimenting exactly. on the urban farm. <laughs> exactly. I do a lot of experimenting. So now's a great time 
to plant citrus. Uh, we're going to have to be cognizant of any cold freezes that come up, uh, you know, in December, January. So we'll want to make sure that we're covering newly planted trees. There's your tool. Do you use that for we use frost, cloth, frost as well? cloth? Okay. And then for deciduous trees, deciduous trees are the kind of trees that lose their leaves in the winter. Those are the apples, peaches, apricots, plums, pomegranates, figs, berries, grapes. Those are deciduous. Those go in in January. Best time to plant them is in January. Okay. So October and this weekend, you know, today uh, at the nursery, um, we're open. You can come down and see us. Well, the nursery, the pop-up nursery will also be open the second weekend of November. And next weekend, we actually do our annual urban farm fruit tree open house at my place. So they can find all about that at urbanfarm.org. And um, that's next weekend. That's next weekend. Go tour the urban farm, see yep. what we're talking about here. Live and in person. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. Good time to plant citrus. Save your stone fruits. If you're doing your stone fruits and your deci- your deciduous trees in January, but I buy them from you now, are they bare root or do you have uh, them in a growing five-gallon pot and I just keep it on the question. patio and yeah, no, wait no. and hang out? Or No, we've designed this program you can get fruit trees from us now. You're actually paying for them. So you're pre-ordering trees. And then you come and pick them up from us in January at our pop-up nursery. Uh, and we have all the supplements and, you know, we have everything you need for the success of your fruit trees. And it'll be available to pick up in January at our pop-up nursery. Between now and then, is there any benefit to digging that hole and doing soil prep or does it make a difference if I give the ground a little time after I prepare before planting? Absolutely does. And um, I asked this in in classes, and I always stick up my arm. I said, and this is my arms up because I'm guilty of this. How many people have purchased trees and plants and never planted them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. And so by pre-digging your holes, you're, you're ahead of the game. All you have to do is bring it home and put it in the ground. For the deciduous in January, you can come and see us this weekend or the second weekend of November, and you can actually buy the supplements and the soils that go in the hole. You pre-dig your holes, you put all that, mix it in a wheelbarrow, put it all back in the hole, and let it start curing so that when your deciduous trees arrive in January, it's a super easy dig. You just, you know, dig it out a little bit, plop the tree in the ground. They Most of them do come bare root, and which means there's no dirt around the roots, and you just take it home, drop it in the ground per our directions, which I got plenty of, <laughs> and, you know, you're good to go. So, yes, pre-digging your hole, pre-filling your holes is really important. And the ones that I've planted bare root versus ones that were 5 or 10 or 15 gallon or whatever the case may be, I always feel so silly out there with a stick sticking it in the ground. Right. <laughs> like, it, it It is so counterintuitive to what I'm, I'm used to and, and but it, it does seem like they sprout and, and take root faster oh, than yeah. well, something. Here's, here's what's happening with them. Bare root trees basically are grown. Our grower is near Sacramento. Uh, they grow all the trees there. In fact, uh, I was there three years ago in the summer and I saw 20 million fruit trees in the ground. <laughs> that was a sight to behold. And so they're harvesting them between Thanksgiving and Christmas. They dig them up out of the ground. They bundle them and send them to us while they're dormant. So they arrive to us while they're dormant. We get them all pruned up and ready for you to pick them up. You come and pick them up from us and take them home while they're dormant and put them in the ground. So they break dormancy in the ground where they're going to spend the rest of their life. 
Potted trees, on the other hand, you know, you don't know how long they've been in the pot. You take it home, you take it out of the pot. Some of the soil may fall away. Some of the roots might break. And then you get it in the ground. I like bare root trees better for that reason, because the, you plant the tree where it's going to spend the rest of its life, and, and then it just explodes. They do, and it's a lot of fun to see that first year of growth after planting it, uh, basically what looks like a twig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, three ways to kill your fruit tree. We definitely want to talk about and, that. And can I ask one question real quick, though, about mm-hmm. the bare roots? When I stick it dormant in the ground, do I start watering it yet? Or Oh, yes. Yeah, so the watering methodology, I have a whole watering methodology. In fact, um, on October 31st, I'm going to be giving multiple classes, um, 20-minute classes called Watering, Fertilizing, and Planting Your Trees. And I cover all that. I have a very specific watering methodology that um, basically follows the flood irrigation thought process. You water your trees once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer. And there's, there's more to it than that and how you plant it and the supplements that you put in your hole. But mo- one of the ways that people kill trees is they overwater trees. And we'll use that to transition right into three ways to kill it. Overwatering. Overwatering your will trees. Be number one. Is number one. Because a drooping tree could be, <laughs> a drooping tree could be overwatered or it could be underwatered. But so we if, all immediately think. It's drooping, add water. <laughs> exactly. So people add more water and people add more water and then, you know, the tree, you know, kicks. So overwatering your tree, watering incorrectly is um, one way to kill your trees. Another way is to plant them in a really hot microclimate like gravel or with block walls around. Um, basically, you cook your tree to death. What I tell people to do is go out in the middle of August and stand in the middle of your yard where you want to plant your tree and see if you want to live there. See how hot it is. So we there's things that we can do. If you have gravel and block walls, there's things that we can do. We'll talk about that in, in a little while, how to fix it. But planting in gravel with block walls around it is a sure death knell for the tree. And number three way to kill your fruit trees is to plant them in lawn. Lawn, you, they usually get overwatered in lawn because it's sprinklered and the Bermuda grass will uh, outcompete the tree. That Bermuda root is quite a, an aggressive mm-hmm. force. And once it gets started, man, that's a hard one to get out of there. Well, I have solutions for all of that, multiple solutions for all of that. But if you're just going to plant in a lawn, you have to do it consciously. If you're going to put in a plant in a gravel area, you have to do it consciously. If you're going to plant in... Um, you know, if you're pl- planting your water, you have to figure out how, up front how you're going to water them. You have to do it consciously. I have solutions for all of it. And on that watering, one of them was drip. Not a, not a drip fan. Not a drip fan. Now, I have a solution for that if it's your last resort. But what you want to do, you either want them on flood irrigation so they get a good deep water, or you want to put bubblers in the basin around the your old tree. Old school bubblers. Old school bubblers. So one of the big things, uh, one of the big things that I talk about in my classes is my six-six rule of planting fruit trees: six inches of woody mulch, six-foot basin diameter minimum. 
So what that woody mulch starts doing is it starts breaking down into this amazing soil. And but twice a year, you want to throw another bag or two of woody mulch on it. And so you get this soil building process under the tree that cools and holds moisture in and makes sure that it gets watered, you know, the deep water. Um, so by applying the 6-6 rule to your fruit trees, um, you, you have they have a limb up. <laughs> they have a limb up. Nice. <laughs> so if you're planting in gravel, what you want to do is you want to rake back the gravel into a six or an eight foot diameter basin, plant your tree in the middle on a mound and fill it with woody mulch. If you're plant, did you have a question? Well, I'm- go ahead. If you're planting in grass, what I want you to do is I want you to cut a six foot diameter divot six inches deep out of the grass. And if you want your grass back, you'll get your grass back in 18 months. But to get the fruit tree started in the lawn, you need to cut this six foot diameter, six inch deep divot, you know, circle out of the grass, plant the tree in the middle on a mound. So it's, you know, it's higher in the middle and fill it with woody mulch. One of the ways that fruit trees get killed, I get pictures of this, people weed whack them. If you weed whack the base of a tree, good luck. It's gone. So by doing this basin around your tree, it w- your job is to weed whack at the edge of the basin, not near the tree. And what can happen over the course of 12 to 18 months is that the tree will get established. The grass can grow back. So the grass will eventually grow back if you want it. So, you, you know, you get the best of both worlds. So those are my solutions for... Um, too hot of microclimate for grass and for watering, bubblers and a six-foot basin with six inches of woody mulch. Now, if you want to go in the bon- bonus rounds, you actually can add a uh, some kind of ground cover. I like sweet potatoes or cow peas in the basin around your tree, and they will actually shade the soil around the base of your tree. In my front yard two years ago, it was 140 degrees at ground level. 20 inches down, this was in August, August 15th, two years ago, 20 inches or two, six inches down, it was 120 degrees down, the, down that six inches. That's enough to kill your trees. By adding the sweet potatoes or the cow peas or something else that is on the same watering schedule as your trees, it shades the ground. And my, underneath my sweet potatoes in, this, in the front yard, it was 89 degrees. It's just like putting a fruit tree, uh, desert tree on the west side of your house to shade your house. You're shading the ground. So these are all of the tricks that I share about in my free online classes that people can take to learn how to grow fruit trees here. And what I like about that ground cover is it does work as a natural deterrent to weeds as well. The shade, it doesn't bring in the light that germinates a lot of the weeds after rains. It's it's not going to weed proof it, but it's going to reduce the amount of weeds. And when we talked about bubblers over drip, that we're talking fruit trees, drip if properly installed and maintained, is still great for our, our, like our mesquites and our palaverdes and our ironwoods that don't require the kind of water a fruit yeah. tree does because they're not putting on, you know, these big baseball-sized fruits all over the place. Right, <laughs> exactly. And if you have drip, we have something at our nursery we call our drip ring. And it's a drip emitter ring that we've made up that puts out not a half a gallon per hour. It's the ring that puts out... Um, 
half a gallon per hour times uh, 18. So nine gallons per hour is what it's putting out. And that's more the type of water volume that a fruit tree needs to exactly. give you good, juicy, delicious fruit. Yes. All right. Well, we've got one final segment with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House. Uh, we're talking urban farming and the urban orcharding, and the pop-up nursery is open today. today. We're down to about 10 minutes here. You're going to yep. run. Oh. I'm going to bust my butt over there. And that's on? It's uh, at 4549 North 7th Street. That is just south of Highland on 7th Street. It's a white, nondescript building on the uh, southeast corner of Meadowbrook and 7th Street. I'm farming and I grow it. I'm farming and I grow it. You know, Farmer Greg, it's funny. I was just now sitting here thinking about something that you got me started on. Gosh. Ten years ago? I'm, I think this was more like 06 or 05, so we're probably close to pushing 15 years. Wow. And that's the migration away from plastic water bottles to... to stainless steel. Yeah, I got my plastic schmastic stainless steel water bottle right here. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And if I... This is a 32-ounce that I always carry, and I probably drink three of these a day. Nice. And that would be nine plastic water bottles a day if right. same water volume. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So I know we're not really the ones that are polluting the ocean, but that doesn't mean we still need to waste senselessly when we can go get a hydro flask that's going to last us years and years. I mean, you can even see. Oh, I mean, see look at that. I mean, this that's one's <laughs> nicely dented. It's the same with the plastic schmastic, man. It's all... So much of the work I've done for 40 years now is really to bring a level of consciousness to how we're treating the planet and how we're really how we're treating our culture. I believe right now, right now, the most important thing that we can be doing is learning where our food comes from and how to grow our own. That's why I do everything that I do. You know, we've got Urban Farm. I do tours. We do classes. I have online courses. All with the idea that we need to become food sustainable in our areas. And in fact, that's one of my goals. One of my goals is to create Phoenix into a food secure place between now and when I die, which means we're growing most or all of our own food here. And it's possible. You know, when I was in Europe, I've been in Europe twice in the past 15 years. I was in Italy for three weeks in 05, and I was in Croatia for three weeks in uh, 2014. Everybody has a garden. <laughs> Everybody grows food everywhere. It was amazing. So, you know, we're just, we just need to wake up to the impact that our food system has on the environment and that we can grow healthy, happy food our, on our own. Back to our roots. You like that? Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Let's hit varieties again because we've talked about citrus. Mm -hmm. We talked about apples. And it was really only the peaches. We named specific varieties of peach because right. there are hundreds if not thousands of global varieties of each of these different types of, oh, yeah. of well, apples so and citrus and Johnny Appleseed <clears throat> was a real person and he used to go ahead of migrating when people were migrating across the United States he used to go ahead and plant out seeds that he collected from the cider mills so that when people got there he had apple trees for them so they have i don't know 3500 to 4500 different varieties of apples that just from the genetic mixing that he did, do well wow. in the United States. Here's the thing. There's two varieties of apples that, <laughs> that you want to grow in Phoenix. That's it. Anna and Dorset Golden. They ripen in May and June. 
there's about a dozen varieties of peaches. There's two varieties of apricots, Katie and Goldkiss, but they are absolutely amazing varieties. There's about a half a dozen varieties of plums that do really well here. You go to my website and you can see the, those are the ones that we sell are the ones that do really well here. And then on citrus, you know, pretty much citrus does well here. The big thing we have to be concerned about with citrus is rootstock, making sure that you get it on a rootstock that does well here. Dwarfing citrus rootstock doesn't do all that well in the desert soil, generally speaking. So I shy away from the dwarfing citrus rootstocks. And citrus in their native state, they like to be more of a shrub. So it's not that much, uh, there's not a, a huge amount of, of exactly you have to do on the non-dwarf types. Exactly. Now they can get really big if you let them, but those are... I mean, you see uh, bushes hundreds of years old, and they've got them trimmed up, and they've they've worked very hard to get them tall. Yeah. You leave them alone and just trim them; they're gonna they're stay gonna low to the out. ground. And, exactly, and, exactly. And, and that's something know, else that I was gonna ask earlier. Well, I was gonna say we were gonna talk about yes, how old life. <laughs> fruit trees get. Right? I have two citrus trees in my backyard. I, I live in an old citrus orchard that were planted in the 1920s. So they're approaching 100 years old. Um, in a book that was written called Oranges in 1967, I can't remember the author, he found one citrus tree that was, I think, 479 years old in Europe. Wow. So citrus trees will grow a long time, uh, and they'll grow a long time here in the desert. Uh, the deciduous trees, on the other hand, if you get 20 good years out of an apple, a peach, an apricot, a plum, you're doing good. So uh, I've actually lived at the urban farm for 30 years. I've gone through life cycles of trees, which has been pretty cool. And our plan at our property is we're coming up, uh, we're about year eight, I think, and Uh our apple tree. And at year 10, our goal is we've got one stretch we haven't planted Ah. and plant it there. That way... When the first trees reach that twenty-year mark, mm-hmm. you know it. You said you get fruit in about three years, and that's true. But I mean, it takes five to seven for it to really, really get going, get in, yep. and, it, and it takes you that long to learn how much to thin and have the discipline to thin because it is so hard when you've got this nice little apple cluster. You're like, I really got to take four out of five of those off. Uh, like, right, I, I want exactly. them all. I want to keep them all. On. So here's one thing, really <laughs> quickly. I know we're wrapping up the show. Here's one thing, really quickly. We have a magic bullet to put in the hole to make your trees last a lot longer. So my fertilizing and supplement recommendations will have your trees live longer. Come on down to the nursery, uh, 4549 North 7th Street. We'll be there until three o'clock today. And then again, the second weekend of November. Uh, and you know, check out what we're doing. Fruittrees.org is our website. And you have your tour next weekend at the Urban Farm? Next weekend, next Friday morning uh, at nine o'clock and next 